Hello, PolyM fam, and welcome to Talk Your Poly Off, presented by ilovepoly.org. This is your podcast for ethically navigating your relationships, your community, and yourself for a healthier and happier lifestyle. This is Bella Doll. She is my sunshine full of giggles. And this is Joshua Monsuda, the logic to my emotion and the chaos to my order. So now you know us. Pull up a seat and let's talk our poly off. Hey there, PolyM fam, and welcome back to Talk Your Poly Off. I'm Bella. I'm Monsuda. And today we're going to talk about four of our favorite C words. Right. In this discussion, we're going to throw around a lot of C words. <laughs> they may be fun or they may be hard to hear, but we're going to sprinkle them everywhere. <laughs> what are these C words? Well, if you read the title of the episode, I'm sure you already know. They're compersion, compassion, comparison, and competition. But why these words? What do they mean? And how are they associated with each other? Let's break these words down so we know what we're working with today. All right, so, so why don't you start us off? Competition is the act of competing, rivalry for supremacy, a prize, a contest for some prize, honor or advantage. The rivalry offered by a competitor or to be more successful than someone else. A competition by its very nature is what psychologists call an extrinsic incentive. Extrinsic simply means that the motivation to adopt a behavior or decision is sourced externally rather than internally. For example, when you do something because you get a reward for it. That's me. Yeah. I'm quite extrinsically motivated. I'm intrinsically motivated. I know. We butt heads on that all the time. A uh, fundamental characteristic and downside of nearly all extrinsic, extrinsic incentives is that they only tend to work for as long as the incentive is maintained. As an example, once I stop rewarding you for doing certain things, you stop doing certain things. Totally. Well, and it's even as simple as like with my weight loss. As soon as I don't see the number go down, I no longer want to participate. Right. I want the reward. If I don't get the reward, then ah, fuck it. I don't want to do it anymore. Right. Yeah. Definitely. I'm very much extrinsic. Now, the opposite of extrinsic is what we call intrinsic. That's, That's you! <laughs> when we're intrinsically motivated to do something like helping others, saving energy, we do it not because of an external reward, but simply because we're personally convinced that it is the right thing to do. Yep. <laughs> By right, I don't refer to vague cultural conceptions of good and evil, but rather to morality as an evolved capacity. Long-standing research has shown that the ability to be compassionate, empathize with others, and to care about the natural world are evolutionarily adaptive behavioral traits. Right. So, basically, speaking as an intrinsic person, my goal to do for others isn't to get a reward. It's not for an attaboy. I, like, I butt heads with my boss on this all the time. <laughs> I'm doing the right thing at my job because I think it's the right thing to do. Like, I've been spearheading this safety thing at work where I demand a safety program and our company doesn't really know how to do one. I do. I yeah. have years of experience in this. And my boss, because he doesn't want to work, he's extrinsically motivated. <laughs> he wants reward. He wants compensation. He wants his bosses to give him attaboys. I want to make sure that everyone I work with is safe and taken care of. So I don't care if you say, good job, fella. You could take your good job and shove it up your ass. <laughs> what I want is a safety program that takes care of people because it's the right thing to do. Right. And so for me, in my job experience right now, I'm in the middle of training somebody else. Mm -hmm. 
I am not a lead or a supervisor. I am not paid to be training somebody else. So I think I'm a little bit of both at times. Like, it's the right thing. I got to train her. But also, I got to train her because then selfishly it makes my job easier. Well, and that's the thing, That's too. the reward is if I train her, then my job's easier. Right. And in, you can almost even tell that it's not intrinsic because of the wording you use. Well, I got to train her. Like right. that alone says, oh, I don't really want to do this, but I have to. Right. Right. Whereas on the other hand, I also don't get paid extra for all the, the safety work I'm doing. I'm writing an entire <laughs> safety program. A whole policy and procedure. For a global company yeah. right now. Not because I want good jobs. I mean, I'd love a raise out of it. Of I'm not course. getting one. I'm still doing this anyway because... I firmly believe that this is the right thing to do. Right. And that's where the difference is. So when someone says, hey, why are you doing this? It's not like, well, it's because I got to, because of this or this or this. It's because I want to do this because I believe in this and it's the right thing to do. Right. So I guess using the work aspects shows it a little easier than it might have in a relationship aspect. Yeah. At any rate, let's not forget that competition is not the only dominant force in nature, though. It's rivaled only by its better half, cooperation. Huh. I always said cooperation, so I could remember how to spell it when I was a kid. Cooperation is also a hidden fifth C word. It is. By the way. I got another C word for you. Yeah, we're not on that episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, indeed, humans not only survive by competing which is natural and healthy. But perhaps more importantly, we survive by cooperating with each other. We had to cooperate with each other to compete together. In ancient times, before written civilization, written language, we created tribes. Yeah. All across the planet. We had tribes of people that stuck together and stayed together and cooperated together against the harshities, that's my word, copyright, <laughs> <laughs> of the rest of the world, be it saber-toothed tigers or competing tribes. Mm -hmm. If you work together and cooperate, then whoever you're competing against, you're going to have a higher chance of success. Right. Anyway, <laughs> the thing about competition is that it doesn't exist unless both parties involved care about winning. Competition typically comes from a place where someone is looking to make themselves stand out. And the vehicle for doing this is to obtain as much of the desired thing as possible and to make sure that people know that you have acquired these things. Great example. Mm. Monopoly. Monopoly. <laughs> By what? Acquiring all the property? All the property and all the money. And both parties have to care about winning. Until your family members are like, fuck it, I flipped the board, I'm out. Then right. there's no more competition because everybody else is like, you're no fun. <laughs> At one point, someone decides to quit caring. Yep. And the competition is over. Yep. And that's why, you know, sports ball guys, <laughs> <laughs> they're paid to care. So they're going to keep trying to collect those points. Extrinsically motivated. Right. Pay me to care. Now, if you get one of those fellers on that team that's intrinsically motivated, he's going to... Have you ever seen the movie The Last Boy Scout? I don't think so. It's a great movie with Bruce Willis and Damon Wayans. Oh, okay. Came out in the early 90s. Yeah. Probably one of my favorites. We'll have to watch it. An intrinsically motivated sports ball player <laughs> in the very beginning of this was so determined to make his points that as he's running down the field with the ball, 
going toward the goalpost thing, mm -hmm. he pulls out a gun and starts <laughs> shooting other people. Oh no! He was he cared that much oh, no. to win. Ta-da! I have examples too. Awkward silence. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Actually, he wasn't. He owed money to somebody. <laughs> anyway. Well, during my research, I did come across this concept of healthy competition being within yourself. So, like, when you catch yourself trying to compete and be better than someone else and try to turn that internally and then just work on being a better person today than you were yesterday. So instead of competing with all the outside forces and world and people, just be in competition with yourself. Yeah. I love that idea. And try to do it in a way that's not... Like, in order to win, you have to trash talk right. the other side of yourself. Don't put down someone else. Or, like, yeah. healthy competition comes from working to achieve a goal, not to push someone down. So if you're working healthily, or if you're competing against yourself, and you're pushing yourself down, you're not competing, you're just abusing. Right. And we want to avoid that. And speaking kind of to that is our next C word, comparison. So comparison is the act of evaluating two or more things by determining their relevant characteristics of each thing to be compared. And then determining which characteristics of each are similar to the other, which are different, and to what degree. Where characteristics are different, the differences may then be evaluated to determine which thing is best suited for a particular purpose. The description of similarities and differences found between the two things is also called a comparison. And a quote I love, though I'm not sure who originally said it, is, why compare yourself with others? No one in the entire world can do a better job of being you than you. And that's kind of what I thought of right before we started talking about comparison. Yeah. About competing with yourself. So that's kind of what my train of thought was there. Yeah, right. And really, we live in a society where comparison is common. We compare clothing styles, weight, hair color, Instagram follower counts, <laughs> and especially relationships. Social media has boosted this a, a million percent because we end up comparing where we are perhaps starting our journey to someone else who's 10, 15, 20 years into their own journey. I mean, of course, they're going to be better at things because they've had more practice. When it comes to something like comparing our looks or money or relationships, we have to remember that one, everyone only shows their best stuff on social media. Mm -hmm. So you aren't seeing their rough days. No one's going to show you when they fought on Valentine's Day because that's just <laughs> not what you post on social media. Right. Number two, you are unique and unlike them. So it isn't logical to compare your looks to them or anything else about you to them. Yeah. Three, there's no set timeline of when life events are supposed to happen. When you see your friends getting married and having babies and buying houses, it's not helpful for your own self-esteem to compare to them because their path is different than your life path. There's no wrong or right way to do life. And that doesn't matter what the perceived expectations from family members and social peers is. If you don't want to get married, don't ever get married. If you don't want to have kids, don't have kids. Don't compare to what everyone else is doing, or don't worry about what, you know, your Grandma Ethel is telling you you need to do <laughs> before a certain time. It reminds me of I Love Lucy, because her best friend was Ethel. <laughs> right. And now she's the grandma telling you to get married and have totally. babies before it's too late. Ugh. It's not too late. It's your life. It's never too late to do what you want when you want. 
unless you felt like it was too late. Okay, so we've hit two of our C words so far, and I'm sure it probably feels a little bit like we're pushing through the C words a little bit, <laughs> but really what we're trying to do is get some definitive aspects of it. We want to build some definition around it so that when we get into our conversations in a little bit, we will have a, a, a fuller, more broad view of what these C yeah, words Yeah, we want are. you to understand what these words mean so that way when we actually go to discuss them, there's already a basic understanding of it. Right. So with that said, we're going into compersion. Compersion. Which is the joy one feels in witnessing another person's joy. Another common definition is a feeling of joy when a loved one invests in and takes pleasure from another romantic or sexual relationship. This doesn't have to be a term used only in the polyamory community, actually. Everybody can benefit from feeling happy about the happiness of others. And once you're familiar with the concept, it's easy to incorporate into your life. And I think actually a lot of humans do feel this. They just didn't know there was a word to describe it. Right. You know, even like um, a father being, that's got some proud in it, but being excited for their kid to do something. Yeah. He's joy, got joy and excitement because the kids got joy and excitement. You know, we all feel that compersion. Well, and that's a perfect example. My eldest daughter, you know, she lives a few hours away, and sometimes her and her kids will go do things, and I'll get to watch my grandkids through pictures or videos experiencing life, and it's not so much pride, like, oh, those are my grandboys, right. well, but it's also like, oh, look at them having so much fun and enjoying themselves, and and experience in a wonderful way, I'm so glad for them that they get that opportunity. Yeah, your joy is abundant because they're having, they're so happy and having so much fun. Right, we just got lucky enough to be polyamorous and to be a part of the pathfinding community that's helping people be aware of the language to use around certain feelings. Yeah, terminology is important. So to get back to it, Gracie X writes in an article entitled, Compersion, a polyamorous principle that can strengthen any relationship. One of the statements in the article I found especially interesting is, Compersion fascinates me because it sanctions the idea of our partner deriving pleasure separate from us and from another source. In this way, compersion is antithetical to how we view relationships and expect to operate in them. We are raised to believe that when we are one half of a couple, we should derive all of our happiness and pleasure from that single partner and only experience it together with that partner. <laughs> Compersion challenges this ideology. It supports the idea that you are individual beings with perhaps divergent desires or needs. Having separate sexual and love experience doesn't mean your relationship is a failure. To the contrary, it can actually strengthen your connection. Right. Compersion is a celebration of your partner's autonomy and a joy in seeing the successes of their life experiences. It's a lack of desire for ownership or control, but rather a chance to vicariously experience their existence. It's quite the opposite of what happens in some relationships and the phenomenon of relationship lockdown, which Gracie X also touches on in the same article, stating, the whole relationship lockdown breeds an almost viral tendency to take the other person for granted to have huge expectations and to deliver this all from the sense of duty and obligation, even without a thank you. 
This stifling setup can prohibit the joy feeling of compersion. 100%. 100%. So interesting. Like, just in general, we talk a lot about it, like autonomy and you don't have to get everything, all your needs met from one person. And right. even hobby wise, you know, do arts and crafts here, do sports ball stuff here with this person. Right. And it's, it's an interesting concept when you mix in compersion and getting joy and happiness from multiple people and that that's okay. Well, and that's the other cool thing. So we showed how compersion could be used in extended family scenarios with my example with my grandkids. Right. And now using a little bit of what you just said and, and what you just read about the article Gracie X did is bring it back toward a partner relationship thing where I'm not a sports ball fan. You love sports ball. <laughs> and when you get the chance to go out and see a match game with um, that team and that team doing the thing with the ball. Right. And I don't give a shit. But say you go out with a friend or another partner and you're having a great time and you're posting it on Facebook. And, and I'm seeing you be excited. And I'm seeing you having a great time. You're in the middle of your element and you're just so filled with bliss that makes me happy i don't care that it's because of some pigskin and some <laughs> dude that gets paid more in a month than i'll get paid in my lifetime right. i don't care like <laughs> you're truly enjoying your life and your experience in that moment and you could be enjoying it with someone not even thinking about me but i'm seeing you do it and it fills me with happiness. Yeah. And even if I wasn't posting online, I'd come home and tell you all about it. Right. And then my face would light up and my voice would get higher and I'd talk really fast and you'd see the excitement there. Right. Yeah. Now, to take compersion even one more step to the intimate level. Because I think that of all of these C words, compersion is probably the hardest to understand, the least recognized word, because it is something that has really built from the polyamorous community. Yeah, and I think a lot of people still struggle feeling it in romantic relationships, too. They right. can recognize that they feel it outside of their romantic, but they're maybe still newer on their poly mm -hmm. journey, and they're still stuck in a lot of the jealousy and envy stuff, so right. feeling compersion is quite difficult, or maybe they just don't feel it at all, and that's still okay. Or, or don't, don't recognize it when it's happening. Right. So... Another way of showing the compersion examples would be like when I spend time with a different partner, mm -hmm. as an example. Maybe I'm having a great time, we're doing some frisky business, or having a night of whiskey and kinkery or whatever, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how you experience it when I'm doing these sorts of things. Mm -hmm. But I do know that when that time for me is over and the next morning or the next day or whatever, and you and I get to come back together and I get to, you're always like, so tell me about your night. How'd it go? Like, did you have a good time? You don't ask for details or, you know, anything weird. But right. Like, you're always wanting to know how it went and you're always excited when you see me light up. Yeah. Like in the very beginning, and I'd ask you because... You know, coming from more of a monogamy culture, you also weren't okay in the beginning, like, telling me you had a good time. Right. You were afraid in the beginning, I think. I mean, I'm speaking for you just from our conversations in the oh, past. Oh, you're speaking for me. 
<laughs> Based on past conversations we've had. <laughs> where you have said that... It is not a point of contention with us. <laughs> Bella speaking for me, of course, naturally. <laughs> but where you have said... Yeah, yeah, I get it. So, yeah, I do have a difficult time sharing intimate details. Well, not even just the details. You didn't even like want to share that you had a good time, almost out of fear that I would be upset that you had a good time. Right. You right. know, even even just in the vague so that you'd come home from a date night that wasn't even frisky or sexual in any way and I'd be like, "Oh, how did it go? Did you have a lot of fun?" You know, well, yeah, it was all right. Right. When really you had a great time. Right. But there was this hesitation because of not knowing each other so well. And you not being aware that I can feel compersion and excitement and joy because you had such a great time. Well, and on that other hand is that I've most of my life been with other partners who didn't want to hear the good time or issues would arise because there wasn't compersion. There was a lot of comparison and competition. Yeah. And so me saying, oh, yeah, I took this person out. We went to one of my favorite bars and we went mini golfing or we went and looked at the stars over the water, right? Then it's like, well, why don't you do this with me? Or why did you do this? Or why didn't you? like, and that's really the tough part to handle. So when you grow acclimated to that experience and then you have a partner who actually does experience compersion, it's awkward <laughs> for lack of a better yeah. term. Because in that moment, I'm like, oh, shit, here comes the fight. Right. Right. Here comes a bunch of questions on why I don't do this with this person or why I did that with that person. And instead, you're like, oh, that's really cool. Oh, did you try this? Or, oh, how was this? What was that place like? And, and you get excited and you enjoy having that discussion. So that's the other aspect about compersion that maybe isn't often talked about is... The side of the person who's actually doing the experiences, mm -hmm. how they are dealing with the... Like the openness of their the receiving partner, partner. Right, yeah. So, if the like with you, mm -hmm. you want to know these things because you're excited. Me, being the partner or the person with the experiences, accepting your compersion. Right. is something that it took me a lot of work to do. I guess is the really roundabout way yeah, of the, saying Yeah, that's a good way, though, accepting the compersion from your partner. Yeah, because accepting it is just as important as giving it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> that was a mouthful. So let's jump to our last one, and then just kind of like what we did with compersion, we can start really getting involved with yeah. all of this stuff. We'll dive in. And the last one, the last of the C words, is <laughs> compassion. Compassion is a deep sympathy for the sorrows of others with an urge to alleviate their pain. It motivates people to go out of their way to help the physical, mental, or emotional pains of another and themselves. Compassion involves allowing ourselves to be moved by suffering and experiencing the motivation to help alleviate and prevent it. An act of compassion is defined by its helpfulness. Qualities of compassion are patience and wisdom, kindness and perseverance, warmth and resolve. When you're in a relationship with someone, 
It's easy to find compassion for their situation or feelings when it doesn't involve you. But what about those moments when you hurt them or you triggered them? Can you set aside your own ego to find compassion for them then? When you're the cause of their hurt? It's not easy and most of us stumble and trip on this, but it's something to keep in mind is we talk about and you maneuver through tough spots and fights when it comes to having compassion for your partner when you're the cause of the pain. And that's a really tough thing to do. Now there's a quote that I really love from the Dalai Lama. If you want to help others be happy, practice compassion. If you want to be happy, practice compassion. It's, Happiness is compassion. It's probably one of my favorite things on the planet, actually. Yeah. And I would say, to jump all the way back toward the beginning of the episode, compassion is one of the reasons why I'm intrinsically motivated. Yeah. Because if I was to turn this as selfish and evil as possible, if I'm making other people happy, or if I'm trying to make the world a better place without financial compensation or any other external compensation I'm doing it so that my world is a better place to live in yeah so I'm really being compassionate for others out of selfishness for myself in a weird way yeah. because I want my world to be the best world in existence so I'm going to give as much compassion as I can so that the world overall gets better and better and better so that really my world just keeps getting lifted and lifted and lifted. Right. So it is still selfish if you want to give it that negative spin, but really compassion is trying to make the world a better place. Not every aspect of the world, like I can't affect what's happening in the deserts in the Middle East, and yeah. I can't affect you know, the polar ice caps melting, but what I can affect is my immediate world, the people around me, my current local environment, which does bleed out further and causes almost like a butterfly effect. Right. But you directly touch and influence your immediate community. Right. And if we could all do that, then... The ripples would connect. Right. I think it would be amazing. It would be fantastic. Anyway, I could get all gushy about compassion a lot. Well, <laughs> <laughs> so with all that said... How does this affect us, and how does it affect our relationships? Well, none of the C words are actually inherently bad for us. Even comparison and competition, which do cause quite a bit of trouble for relationships when practiced unhealthily, they even have their positive sides in basic humanity. At its best, a healthy competition inspires both sides to do their absolute best. You should motivate each other, cheer each other on, and never walk away with hard feelings. It's like I said earlier about competing with yourself. Yeah. You want to achieve a goal quicker or better or faster. It's not, your goal isn't to push someone else down. It's to reach for the stars sooner. When I even have that, again, going back to work, my work setting, I've got a very small team that I work with, and I'm all about empowering my coworkers I don't mind training her because if I help her and she's doing it right, sure, it makes my job easier, but it also means that she's going to feel more confident in what she's doing. Our team is going to run more smoothly. So if, if I can get them up to my level, so to speak, if, right. if I can motivate them and I can lift them up and if we're competing and I'm reaching a hand down and pulling them up with me, then we're all lifted up. And then we're all on the same level and we'll compete to get, you know, better. Right. 
But that kind of competition is where I thrive. It'd be like showing her how great you are in hopes of sparking enough of the right envy to where she's like, I want to do that too. Yeah. I want to be that and too. And let me help you. Right. So, and then jumping from competition to comparison, healthy comparison is stated simply by Brene Brown. I love her. Author of The Gifts of Imperfection. She says, without comparison, concepts like ahead or behind or best or worst lose their meaning. The only unique contribution that we will ever make in this world will be born out of our creativity. Mm-hmm. So comparing things by itself is not inherently bad. Right. Do I want the 16 ounce or the 24 ounce drink? Right. I'm trying to compare the benefits and the downfalls of getting either. Or. Yeah, we learned that early on in school with comparing and contrasting things. Right, comparing apples and oranges. Yeah. And again, like if using that basic analogy, if you like oranges better than apples, your comparison just says this is your preference. Mm-hmm. If you like apples better than oranges, likewise. It doesn't mean the other is bad. Right. It goes. It really goes back to not pushing down something in order to lift something else up. Yeah. In my thoughts. So alternatively, though, if we overindulge on these feelings, not unlike overindulging in drugs or eating or just about anything we do to excess, we find ourselves adversely affected by the overconsumption of comparison and competition, or both at the same time. Yeah, definitely. And I recently came across an article on BeEducated.com that was about polyamory and jealousy. As I was reading, it made some interesting points about how for the brain to create order, the logical mind uses natural comparison as a way to process facts in a linear process. It began to describe, though, that when you start to cross the line into an unhealthy level of comparison, you could begin to recognize the unhealthy behavior with these markers right or wrong, black or white thinking, or polarized mindset, trying to find what's better, and in turn, finding the flaws and the worse. That is one of the hardest things to deal with, Mm -hmm. especially once the brain has established that, and then you have to undo what's been established, the right or wrong, the black or white, the all or nothing. Yeah. Because once you've found the perfect good or the imperfect bad, you've got your logic behind it and in and in trying to change that from an all-or-nothing statement or mindset into realizing the gray areas of existence there's actually a lot of other podcasts too a lot of personal development people yeah who do episodes specifically on the all-or-nothing type thinking right it's it's terrible yeah the next one is that self-doubt or a need for personal validation another unhealthy behavior marker right and finally critical or defensive thoughts about your partner or their new love which is one of the things that puts a real block on the compersion and the compassion and prevents you from sharing with a partner or feeling good about your partner and begins making those rifts in a relationship when even when it's you know critical thoughts about your meta Right. You know, I've experienced that. And then it's so hard to pull out once I go down this rabbit hole of critical thoughts of my meta. 
pulling out to, in order to feel compersion or compassion for that person that my brain is already tearing apart right. is a really difficult uphill battle. It really is. It's that, it's that image that you see online where it's the person pushing that big old boulder up the hill and you can never quite get it and your con it's heavier and heavier. Yeah, it's, it's one so, of the early definitions of hell. Yeah, it's so is, hard to get out of that. You die, you go to hell. One of your hells is to push a boulder to the top of the hill once it gets to the top, your job is done. But as you push up the hill, something will always knock that boulder back down and you always have to go back and start. Right. But we're not here to talk about hell. Those three things you mentioned are often how we view ourselves in comparison to our partners or metas, where we only see or hear the good things about them. And then we create the illusion that they're made up solely of these good things. And then we hyper-focus on our perceived flaws. Right. Or on the other side of this discussion, where we may only see the flaws of a partner, like you were mentioning, or a meta, and compare them with the positive traits of ourselves for a comparison on why I would be a better choice for a person than the meta might be. They're not good enough for my partner. Right. We become busy or even obsessed with finding the contrast in what makes us different. It isn't uncommon for this mental spiral to turn into thoughts like, how could they want that person when obviously that person can't be good enough for my partner? Or an internally based monologue with the too commonly felt idea of, how could I compare with that? I'm not good enough and I don't even deserve my partner. Yeah, and honestly, we see a lot of this online, too, not even just with partners, but with friends, circles, and communities where we're so focused on what makes us different. Right. You know, we're all under some sort of consensual or ethical non-monogamy umbrella, regardless of what relationship structure or whether you're poly and swinger or however you do you. Kinky or vanilla. Yeah. Everyone is so focused on dividing what makes us different instead of just coming together and, hey, we're all part of this community that society kind of shuns. Let's come together in that love and help each other. Instead, we divide. Right. And we don't need to divide whether it's inside of polyamory or not. I mean, ultimately, if you cut your arm, you will bleed <laughs> just like me just like your neighbor, just like anybody on the planet. We all put our clothes on before we go out in public. <laughs> we all have desires and goals. I mean, if we spent more time focusing on what made us the same and less time on what made us different, we might find that our compassion levels alone are going to start rising and we're going to start feeling connected with people who... At this point, if we're comparing, we're just finding our differences. Right. So one of the things that Rachel Hollis says all the time that I absolutely love is that she leads a community of people who don't look the same, act the same, love the same, believe the same, vote the same. Everyone's different. Right. But they find where they can connect, find their similarities. Yeah. And then you build that compassion and that relationship with someone and then learn about the differences, embrace the differences, but you're coming from that place of compassion first because you've connected in community with them. And then you can celebrate the differences from a place of love and understanding instead of standoffish. You're different from me and I don't like it. 
Right, a hundred percent. No, totally in, right. in this case, you're you're very much similar to me, but you've got some other aspects that make you beautiful in a different way. Yeah, definitely. So the comparisons with relationships that most often happen, I, I think, happen in three ways. Yep. The first one is comparing your relationship with someone else's relationship, Ugh. which, especially Valentine's just passed. Mm -hmm. There are going to be people that are like, well, you were showing me pictures of Kevin Hart's Instagram yeah, <laughs> where he was doing like the rose petals on the ground. Yeah. If I was the comparative type, I'd be like, well, shit, I didn't put rose petals on the ground for Bella or any of my other or partner types. She must be showing me this because she, that's what she wanted. Right. You know, and she's subtly trying to tell me, you know, look at what he did when really I just thought it was a fun picture. Uh, what was the other one you showed me? It wasn't Kevin Hart. You showed me another one where someone did something amazing for Valentine's Day. And basically it was super expensive. It was like a yacht or I don't know. It would have cost thousands of dollars. <laughs> obviously I'm not going to spring thousands of dollars for that. Right. So I'm cool with it. Like they had a great time. It looked like everyone was smiling. Awesome. Oh, Good it was Katy Perry and Orlando Blue. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. it was them and it was cute and it was wonderful and it was them having their own unique relationship. Yeah. And I didn't feel the need to compare and to compete. I was like, Oh cool. That's awesome. Good for them. Right. Whatever you and I do or did, that's our relationship, and that's our unique experience, and it's not related to Orlando Bloom and Katy Perry. Right. Or anyone else. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what's the second one? Second thing is comparing your current relationship to your past relationships. That's a big trap. I don't know why you're looking at me like that right now. I mean, I've definitely done this, especially in the beginning of a new relationship where I'm still kind of stuck on the past relationship. You? Me? That's so oh. weird, right? I thought that's where that look was coming from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there's a lot of discussion on, well, my ex used to do this, and my ex used to do that, and uh, I'm triggered from this person doing this, or... Well, and I mentioned that earlier also, where I would have a hard time sharing certain experiences with you because I was concerned that our dialogue would be too similar to a past dialogue. Right, right. And so even in areas where you don't realize you're doing this, you're still doing it. And sometimes I don't think it's bad. I mean, that's why we survive, right? Yeah. We're cautious. We learn from past mistakes and history and things like that. I think it's just when it becomes excessive and when you're comparing every move your new partner makes. Right, when you're hyper-focused on it. Also, like, in my experience is when the past relationship has given you enough bad experience to where now you're afraid of life. You're afraid to take chances. You're afraid to meet a new person. You're always second guessing what this person's motives are. Like all of that is from over obsessing on how a past relationship affected you and assuming that all current or future relationships run under that because that's how relationships work right so that's i guess my addition to your <laughs> <laughs> it's a big deal and, and a lot of people do it and a lot of times i try to help people get past that because it, it's a paralyzing factor right I, I mean i have it just in general like i've been burned way more by dating women 
than I have by dating men. Men are just assholes when they want to be assholes. We are. It's Women true. get manipulative and crazy, and uh, in my experience, and so I've, in general, because of those past experiences steered clear of dating women I may have actually enjoyed dating. Right. But I'm so afraid of it because they've treated me so poorly in the past. Right. And those are past experiences with past people who are not the current people in your life. Right. But trying to figure out how to stop that comparison yep. before it becomes paralytic is a difficult thing to do. And acknowledging it is the first step definitely i had to acknowledge it and then like i just jumped heads in heads in yeah you have you're a hydra <laughs> all of my heads went in right <laughs> and you know i pushed past some of that fear to jump back into dating women yeah so the third thing if we're going to keep this thing rolling <laughs> is comparing your relationship with a partner Versus that partner's relationship with their other partners. Like comparing our relationship with your relationship with somebody else. Right. How we do things versus how you do things. So it would be, in this example, you and I have this relationship. And I'm comparing what you and I are doing versus what you and your other partner over here are doing. Right. And why is our relationship looking different than your relationship with that person? You're still the common denominator in both relationships, so how come each one's different? Right. That. that so aspect. many aspects of right. that, too. And uh, one of the ones I can think of off the top of my head is just time, too. Yeah. Like, when I came in, and you're married 20 years, Right. I can't compare my brand new month one relationship to your marriage of 20 years. Right. Because you're going to know way more about each other. You're going to have pet names for each other. Things are going to be very different from a month one relationship. And then alternatively, comparing 20 years of experience with watching a brand new relationship flourish in NRE, as an example. Yeah. And then saying, well, how come we don't have that in our relationship? Well, it's because we've been together for two decades. We had it 20 years ago. And we've ago. been familiar. Yeah, we had NRE for years and years. Yeah. Ago. So... Every one of these things that we talk about, there are multiple aspects of this, of what we're talking about. From each perspective of each person in each scenario, you're going to get a different view of how to handle or think about these things that we're talking about. Well, no matter what, hyper-focused comparison is definitely detrimental to healthy and productive relationships. And it doesn't take long for this train of thought to pull it to the competitive station. At its worst, unhealthy competition can feel like a threat you have to defend yourself against. Mm -hmm. This is when a person feels the need to one-up or outdo a meta or a partner. Competitive actions can be anything from feeling the need to getting a bigger birthday present, pointing out flaws of a meta to a partner, monopolizing time, or even downright sabotaging your meta's relationship, or even your own relationship. Yep. The more single-mindedly focused a person gets on competition, the more destructive the results. That's true. Yeah, and I mean, if you find yourself feeling in a heightened state of competition with your partners or your metamors, I found a little article at polycoach.com that talks about ways to identify this emotion and process it with your partner. And as always, it starts with identifying the feelings and communicating. Ha! Another C word. Dun, dun, dun. Communicating. <laughs> In order to wrangle these two emotional acts, we need to go back to looking at our ego, 
which you can do by pausing this discussion right now. <laughs> well, not right now. Jumping back to episode 31. Now pause it. Go. <laughs> okay, welcome back. Essentially, all of these C words are outward actions based on internal emotions. The more we can understand ourselves and our emotions, the more we can make better educated actions in order to create or provide more positive outcomes. I think a lot of the time it's the internal work. We're having external and outward problems in relationships, whether it's with partners, metas, friends, family. We're having these external outward problems. Uh-huh. Most of the time those can be solved with doing some internal work. Oh yeah, definitely. And that's one of the things that, like in the last couple of years, I was quick to jump out and and deal with external problems in an external problem kind of way. Right, fighting. (laughs) The more that I learn about me, the more I realize that most of my external problems can be handled by internal emotional management. Yeah. It's a huge deal. And I'm a highly emotional person. What? Hi, I'm Bella. I'm a cancer. Oh, yeah. My emotions run my life. Hi, Bella. (laughs) Welcome. (laughs) So I definitely struggle to get a handle on that, especially in the heat of a moment when something's really got me all fired up. But I'm working on it. Everyone's a work in progress, right? Yeah. And everyone's at a different stage on their journey than everyone else. Yeah. So in order to better manage our emotions, if I were to boil down ego to a couple of lines, I might say it's having to accept the way the world works around us and realize we aren't the center of the universe. What? I know. Which is funny coming from me. That is funny. Ego checking is realizing that while your experience are the most important thing you're experiencing in the moment, they most likely don't even show as a blip on other people's radars because other people are caught up in their own experience just like you are. Which reminds me of a quote, other people's opinions are none of your business. True. Most of the time, we're so concerned with people's opinions and things, they're not even thinking about us. Right. They're thinking about their own shit. They're not really thinking about us. Right. As an example, say I really want to go to a local polyamory meetup because I want to meet new people. I'm nervous about going because I'm afraid I'll look stupid or ugly and that people might laugh at my awkwardness, which I often feel. All of those things. In my mind, I'm envisioning a spotlight on me as I'm in the meetup, and all the eyes are on me. This is my ego, focusing on what I see of me and telling me I'm so important that all the people will pay attention (laughs) to me and will probably judge me as negatively as I judge myself. Because of this, I choose to not go, and then I miss out on a life experience which could have led to many other wonderful life experiences and maybe even a partner... You could have had a connection that you missed out on. But because I'm so worried and my ego's got me all tripped up, I choose not to go. In this scenario, if I could check my ego, I'd understand that I won't be the center of attention because I'm not important in the eyes of these total strangers. Not that I'm a bad person or that I'm worthless. Or uninterested. Right. It's just that I don't register on their life radar yet. I'd also remind myself that the others who are experiencing life in the moment, just as I am, 
are also probably feeling these same things and might be too focused on their own emotional management to notice if I'm actually ugly or stupid. <laughs> They're worried about their own spotlight right. shining on them. So anyway, they may actually even see something in me I'm not seeing. But really, all of this is a conversation for another time about self-worth and ego. All I can picture is, you know, we do events and stuff at Renegades down in downtown Vancouver. Right. And all I can picture is people coming in that front door, passing by the stage, and all the lights, like there's a bunch of spotlights on each person that walks in the door. Yeah. Everyone's got their spotlights as they all walk and play pool and get drinks. <laughs> so next time you go out to an event, right? Let's yeah. try this. Next time you go out to an event or decide you want to go out to an event, realize that your spotlight is on you. Yep. And then also realize that everyone else is feeling their own spotlight on them. <laughs> so it's like that exercise where you imagine, like when you're public speaking, you imagine everyone naked. Right. It's similar to that. So walk into the room imagining everyone has their own spotlight on them. They're all feeling pressure. And then ask yourself, how does anyone stand out when everyone's being lit up? If we can learn to recognize and manage the comparative and competitive aspects of our mindset, we can work to understand how to use these two potentially volatile things to build healthy aspects of growth into our relationships. When we overindulge on comparison and competition, these thought patterns which come from the ego's need to separate and compare are diminishing thoughts, which means they depress our energy, our mood, and our ability to be open to what is. Yeah. When you notice them, take a few breaths into the area of the heart, find a little compassion for yourself, and step your awareness back a few notches. Ask, who's making this comparison? What would happen if I stay open in this moment? That's a really good idea. Like, who's making this comparison? And is it true? Honestly, right. I'm making this comparison. Really, is it true? Yeah. Also, taking the time to remember both sides of the narrative are important in this you might be stacking up all your flaws against their attributes or vice versa but what happens when you flip the script stack flaws to flaws and attributes to attributes if you aren't aware of the flaw of the other person maybe don't stack yours against theirs because you don't know what they got yeah and so all you're seeing is yours building up and they don't really have anything yeah so you're not doing yourself a service instead Remind yourself that just because you don't see them doesn't mean they don't exist. Avoid assumptions and compare what you know. So, like, if I know, if I'm seeing someone's got this great Valentine's date thing going on, I had a really great Valentine's date thing going on, that's where you can find your compersion and happiness for someone else. Compare the positives that you both just had. Be like, oh, I had a really great date. You had a really great date. We had really great dates, and we're both really happy and loving, and this is fantastic. Yay! Right. And focus not on how much money was spent or how much your partner didn't do, but do you actually love that partner in the first place? Yeah. Do you enjoy the time that you spent with them? Whether it was yachting in the Caribbean or going to see Sonic the Hedgehog in the right. theaters, right? Everyone's own experiences are unique to them. And pay attention to what you do enjoy in the moment and what you do love in the moment. And then see that this person that you're comparing to also does enjoy their partner or did enjoy their experiences and that sort of thing. Definitely. And then so another crucial aspect of this change of comparative mindset is to remember you aren't sizing up an enemy 
You're trying to find similarity for the sake of understanding what makes a partner happy or to understand how to better communicate or know a metamor. The goal shouldn't be war, but peace. This should help slow the comparisons and in turn, hopefully quell competition as well. Yeah, I mean, looking back, there's definitely times where I could have done better in things. But again, that's comparing myself to my previous self. Like, you know, oh, I stumbled here in these spots. How can I do it better next time? And that's healthy comparison right, right. there. And I think all of our relationships, we've done that over the years. Yeah. Where we've been like, oh, man, I really messed this up here. I'm going to do better with that next time. Well, I've, I'm definitely guilty of this. There's Whether it was past relationships versus current relationships or... I can recall a point in the past, like there was, there was someone you went out on a date with and I was just not cool with it. For some reason, it was really hitting my ego. Yeah. And this was way back in the beginning of our relationship. It was like one of the first people you went out on a date with afterwards. Yeah. And so there was that part of me where the ego is like, but we're just brand new and we're still trying to figure us out. And then there was that other aspect where I'm hearing all this great qualities of this person and I'm not feeling like I have good qualities to stack against. Yeah. And so in that moment, I was like, shit. <laughs> but I'd start getting angry or upset and being a problem. So I recall to that and I think about like, say you were to, oh, hey, I'm meeting this new person and I want to go out with them and I'm trying to hear about it. I want to compare this experience with that experience from a few years ago mm -hmm. so that I can say that's what I did wrong and that's how I fucked up. And I want to apply different principles to this time so that I'm not fucking up. So, or even honestly comparing yourself in that situation, how would if you were the one going out, switch spots, how would you want your partner to, you oh, know, yeah. to take it or behave in that setting right and, and that's coming from a place of compassion yeah absolutely doing this type of emotional improvement will create more room for the feel-good side of the four c's and maybe even without realizing it you'll find yourself working from a place of compassion and even feeling compersion what <laughs> some people may feel compassion more readily than others perhaps they're highly sensitive or empathic types by nature or have practiced to develop this skill those who do not feel innately inclined to experience compassion for self or others may have to work a little harder to develop it. This requires stepping outside one's individual psyche and into shared psychic and emotional space, which may prove challenging for some. Mm -hmm. The daily ritual of acknowledging and accepting personal thoughts and feelings is a good place to start. Ideally, this will lead to a deeper sense of acceptance and self-compassion, which will in turn inspire increased empathic awareness. Yeah. It's kind of like what the Buddha has stated, something that I absolutely adore. If you light a lamp for someone else, it will also brighten your path. So true. That's, I mean, like, if we boil all of this down, that's the goal yeah. in my eyes on why the four C's are important in your life and in your relationships is if I'm just trying to light my own way, I'm a beacon in the dark. Right. Mm -hmm. But if I want each of my partners to have as good a life experience as they can, I want to do my best to put light into their life. And then, like I said before, it's the butterfly effect. The more light I'm giving to other people, the brighter everything is. The bigger the ripple. Yeah. I love it. You got anything else to add? 
So basically what we did was we talked about all these four C's. We're throwing C words everywhere. We didn't talk about my favorite C word, but I think maybe next week. Maybe. Well, we still have a sex episode to come That's up, That's right? the one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we really tried to focus a lot more on, you know, the, the discussion side of the words themselves. And we didn't provide as many personal experiences or that sort of thing as I think we could have or have generally in the past. Yeah, I, I mean, I hope it was more educational for people. Right, and I think that in doing so, my hope is that what we provided was just enough to develop an understanding without hearing a different person's experience so that all of the information that we've talked about today in our discussion is something that a person can use to reflect on and be like, wait a minute, that's what they meant with this based on my own personal experience. Yeah. So in in a way for me, the hope was that we could create a discussion that our polyam fam could really internalize and and build some core intrinsic feelings. <laughs> Definitely. And if it wasn't personal enough for you this time around, if you've been listening, you know that we share a lot of personal stories and get goofy and whatnot. And if this one was a little too serious and educational for you, head over to our Patreon site. It's just patreon.com slash talk your poly off. Uh-huh. And check out some of our bonus content. We also just uploaded a new episode. So go check it out. Yeah, definitely. And then you can see the less serious side of <laughs> these two idiots behind the microphone. Definitely. We just went to a karaoke event with a lot of our poly people, our mm -hmm. polyam fam, and uh, have some pictures up as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about that. And we're always open to discussing this episode or any other episode that we provide if you have some feedback that you want to provide us or if you want to share some story of yours with us maybe ask some opinions or some questions you can always find us on instagram you can always jump over and check out our facebook page facebook.com slash talk your poly off we are all over you can even find us on fetlife <laughs> we're everywhere and linkedin yeah so you can find us pretty much anywhere you look. You can also email us podcast at ilovepoly.org. Start dialogue with us however you want. Share stories, all that stuff I mentioned earlier. And let's keep this conversation going. And until next week, what I, I'm pretty sure we're going to talk about sex. We're going to talk about sex, baby. Uh, ah! See you in Toledo. What? See you in Toledo. Not see you next Tuesday? That too. All right, Pollyanna fans. <laughs> Until we're ready to talk our Polly off again, see you next Tuesday. Bye. Thank you for talking your Polly off with Bella and Monsada. You can find our Facebook page in the links or by searching for I Love Polly and liking the page Polyamory Get Your Heart On. You can also find I Love Polly on Instagram and Twitter by searching I Love Polly Cares. If you want us to help you navigate to all of our online presence, check out the show notes or come on over to ilovepolly.org. We would love to hear from you. That's right. And you can get in touch with us by emailing podcast at ilovepolly.org. That's singular podcast, not plural. 
So until our next discussion, Polyam fam, live like there's no tomorrow, laugh until it hurts, and, and love, love without, without limits. limits.